Switching between software in healthcare is a mammoth task, no matter which way you look at it. There are many baked-in workflows and connections that are welded into the process of healthcare companies that the reality of actually switching software systems becomes an experience that tests everyone involved. And so integrations and workflow are both factors that get many new software implementations unstuck, but another huge one that many overlook until it's too late is migrations. How do you get the historical data collected over years, sometimes decades, into a new system? I'm not just talking about demographic data either, but clinical information, images, scans, results, communications, and what about the financial data? Where does it all go? You can't just chuck it all out and start again. How do you maintain patient continuity of care? And there are legislative requirements for holding on to data too, and sometimes you've got to hold on to it forever. Today, I'm joined by Will Erskine from PBT Australia, who are healthcare data specialists. And in this episode, we're going to explore the complexities of clinical data, interoperability, fire and automation, and as well, dive into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the even uglier side of healthcare data migrations. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Will Erskine, General Manager at PBT Australia. PBT is a technology agnostic data and analytics specialist organisation working with private health insurance and healthcare providers to make healthcare relevant, efficient and effective for all Australians. Hey Will, how are you going? Yeah, good. I enjoyed the intro. It's sort of it's nice to be here on a Monday morning and see you transition from sort of the slightly tired Monday morning to <laughs> like the podcast voice. It's oh. kind of cool to see it in um, real life. I feel I need to respond in kind and up my energy. It's uh, infectious. Yeah. <laughs> For those not in the know, we usually spend a good couple of minutes before a podcast interview and it. I actually secretly use it to warm up myself, to be honest. So I have an incoherent conversation with a guest for 15 minutes and then boom, away we go with the intro. But I mean, Will literally ran a hundred kilometers to get to this interview today. So, uh, <laughs> that's uh, like, I've learned about ultra running before this interview. So that's something to keep you busy. Yeah, it certainly is. It was a big weekend. I'm not sure it's ideal planning to go and um, spend most of the weekend or almost most of the weekend. It was just under 20 hours running on Saturday into Sunday and then get about three hours sleep. And, I, didn't know yeah, it was, then... I didn't know it was legal to run 100 kilometres in one go. But anyway, there should be rules around that. But I'm glad you're alive and here today and you sound coherent. So that's Probably cool. with this audience, there'd be a number of people in health and health tech who would be telling me, it might be legal, but it's really stupid and really bad for you. So we, we'll see what the response is. It's a good way to start the conversation, I think. But look, uh, tell us a bit more about you and your background to kick us off, please, Will. Yeah, so, I mean, aside from spending a lot of time running, I mean, I suppose professionally, my background was always in quality assurance and scalability and performance. Um, worked originally from the UK. I've worked in a few countries, found my way to... Melbourne, what, about 10 or 11 years ago now? Yeah, and I'd spent some of that time working in sort of performance and scalability and then found myself more into the health tech stuff through working with Medibank on their um, claims transformation platform. So originally 
I was introduced to PBT, like marking their software, like performance testing and testing their platform at Medibank. And then, yeah, somehow many years later, they offered me a job and I've been working with PBT for the last five years, kind of looking at overall business strategy, the direction of the company and where we see opportunity to use I mean, I'll say our expertise, but I guess really it's the expertise of the guys that are actually out there doing the work that, you know, we really want to bring to a wider market. Mm. I'm keen to learn a bit more about PBT as well and the work that you're doing. So it sounds like it's a lot to do with the data in healthcare. Yeah, correct. I think the PBT Australia story is kind of born out of the work done at Medibank. So we're headquartered in South Africa. Technically, Johannesburg, although it sounds like more and more of the people are moving to Cape Town to work because I think it's um, prettier and they like being on the coast. But yeah, we're listed on the Joburg Stock Exchange. We operate in 27 countries. Globally, it's kind of a broader spectrum of domains, like lots of financial services, insurance, kind of the full spectrum of work, retail, telco. But in Australia, our expertise has grown particularly in the private health insurance expanded into sort of social insurance with some work for WorkSafe in Victoria and TAC and and we kind of realized out of that that we are I guess through the claims side starting to get quite a good understanding of health data and what goes into making up claims and sort of the coding around it and I think it's it's fairly unusual in Australia for a tech company to have that real understanding of health data. And we've been working over the last year or two, actually based out of the UK, working on some migrations around ophthalmology data for some NHS trusts. And yeah, we've kind of realized that um, it starts to sound a bit egotistical and arrogant, but I think we're getting to the point where we can say, yeah, we really get health data, particularly when it comes from moving between systems. And I guess the other joy is we don't have necessarily have any sort of specific health tech products that we're trying to push. Like we're not trying to push a practice management system. We're not trying to push ophthalmology software. So like we can migrate you between anything and any other thing. That's kind of where we've been pushing into the last year or two. Fascinating that you're talking about the process of moving between systems because if I was to think about some of the ugliest parts of of, of health tech I, from my own experience it's things can go bad pretty significantly when you're going from one system to another putting aside all of the different features and functionalities of systems and all the workflows that need to be implemented but we're in an environment in healthcare where so much data has been collected already in different formats and systems, sometimes written down in bits of paper on manila folders and then trying to move it into a new system. It can be a real headache. So talk to me more about what you've seen about the complexities of moving software platforms in healthcare. I mean, I think there's a few things here. I mean, I guess the biggest underlying factor is that no one really wants to do this, right? I mean, I think that being in the sort of health tech space, I guess we forget that our customers, they don't really want to be messing around with software platforms. They want to be talking to patients, 
curing people, helping people. So the underlying platform that they're using to store data or um, to schedule appointments, like it's kind of a grudge purchase from the start. So I think that kind of doesn't help you get off to a flying start when no one really wants this thing in the first place. You know, it's kind of like trying to sell an iPhone to your 90-year-old grandmother. She just doesn't want it. So to try and push her, that tell her that all these features are fantastic and she'll find it really useful, well, she doesn't care because she doesn't need it. She doesn't want it. It's not how she operates. So I guess that's kind of one of the things I think is a key problem. And, and I guess that can be resolved by involving clinicians and involving people at early stages so they actually understand the why. I think the other sides of it are um, the data by its very nature is complicated. Like you mentioned in the intro about bringing over clinical data, about bringing over images And I think it's not necessarily just about bringing that data over. We're not trying to just copy and paste. And, you know, I think some of the technical guys that I work with, when I talk to them, I think starting out, they kind of thought, like, well, we're not just control C, control V to move Mm. things from one platform to another. There's a bit more to it than that. So you have inherently complicated data that's stored in inherently complicated data structures that then needs to be translated into other inherently complicated data structures Mm. and then needs to make sense at the end of it all and remain like the same clinical story. Because I guess the focus of all of this has to be making sure that we've got the same story about the patient when we start and when we finish and that nothing's lost in the intermediary step. Like, you know, we can't sort of migrate this all this data, but if it doesn't end up in a sort of clinically you know, doesn't make clinical sense or doesn't tell the same story or episodes get muddled in order, then then that's sort of when we start to create real problems. And then I, I think the final part of it is the amount of unstructured data there is in um, health systems, you know, like relying on free text notes and very hard to force people to use drop downs and to properly code things. That in and of itself makes things even more challenging. Yeah. I've seen as well with migrations, even, you know, in the outpatient setting, for example, moving from whether it's best practice or medical director or genie or ZML, any of the practice management systems into another practice management system, you would think, well, if you were moving from one to another, it's kind of just like if you're using a non-clinical system, if you're moving from MYOB to zero in the financial system, there's a tool for that and you and you can do it yourself. You can plug in the APIs and log into both and click a button and then all the data magically kind of goes between the two systems and it looks pretty good. Sometimes you even can, you know, map this field to that, but it just gets messy in healthcare because I've seen clinics that use the note system in one way and they don't put that data in that field. They put it in this field and then they have another thing where they put data into because the practice management system didn't quite do that. But they've got 15 years of this data that's there too. So it's almost like every migration is like a unique project in itself. And for a company that does it, that's a pretty tricky thing to do. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think, as you say, the sort of dream would be to be able to get to the point that you can migrate at the click of a button between any two platforms. And I guess maybe the way you record financial information into Zero or MYOB would be, you know, there'd be a set of standards around that, that there would be very little difference between. Mm. So that there'd be almost no difference between 
the data in one and the data in the other, there'd be a few field mappings that need to change, but ostensibly your incomings, your outgoings, whatever it is, would be identical, which is probably why that's a lot easier and why they've um, made it easy to switch between the two. But I think that the way that people use practice management systems, for example, will vary from clinician to clinician even, let let alone practice to practice. And and you use the same system for 15 years and, and then you're like, well, we've got a lot of data. And it's the same as, I mean, the desk I'm sat at at the moment, I've got X years of financial records stored in a drawer next to me that are just bits and pieces that get sent to me that I'm like, oh, I should probably keep that because I'll need it for my tax return. And it gets chucked in a drawer. So like the system works because every time I need to reference something, I know it will be in that drawer somewhere. And fortunately for me, there's, there's not that much um, financial information and I only have to go through it like once or twice a year for my taxes. But you think like if I was a tax accountant using the same filing system across a range of customers, it would very quickly fall apart and become unscalable. So if you've got like, you know, a drawer per customer dumped just full of bits of paperwork and you try and migrate that, unless you're just going to accept that, well, we're just going to dump it somewhere else. Because I think that's the other challenge is migration is a great chance to actually look at what you've got and whether it's valuable and and what can be archived or got rid of and how you can improve the process rather than just, you know, enabling everyone to do the same thing they've always done, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've seen that so many times in my experience as well. Many implementations of new practice management systems in the outpatient side will just not go ahead because a clinic wasn't able to migrate many years of data into this new system because it was too complicated. Whether it was probably technically possible, but it would be so disruptive to the clinic that they've made the decision not to go ahead with it. But then you look at what they're moving and they probably don't need that information in that very accessible way in this other system. So, you know, but they weren't comfortable with archiving it all in another system on the side too. There's just a lot of, it's a complex kind of thing that I am sure this point around migrations is one of the main reasons why we don't see a great deal of kind of advancements in, you know, utilizing new systems in healthcare because people feel like, well, you know, I'm trading off one set of issues for another, because if I do move to a new system, I've got all this heartache and and headache of migrating. But I guess if you can do it well and work with a group that's done it before, then, you know, a lot of that headache can at least be minimized, I would hope. And I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the, um, because one of the challenges that we face, it's not necessarily about the technology, because, you know, it's all technically feasible. It's about that What's the approach? You know, so if I'm a large GP practice and I need to migrate X thousand patient records, I don't necessarily need all X thousand on day one because I will have, and I doubt this is the correct term, but I will have a number of frequent flyers who are there sort of once a week for regular appointments or more frequently. And then I will have a bunch of patients who I'm one of those, I can't really call myself a young man anymore, but you know, I still think like a young man. So like, I present to the GP maybe once a year, if that, like, and it'll be because I've got, I've injured myself running or, you know, I've got a cold that won't shift or something like that. So I'm not going to be there. And if they don't have my data in the new system day one, and it takes a few weeks for that to migrate across, it doesn't really matter. 
And I think it's about, yeah, getting that, because if you're trying to migrate thousands and tens of thousands of records and all the history associated with it in a time that means you've got effectively no downtime, so that maybe is over a weekend or overnight, that's when it becomes almost impossible or or at least very, very, very difficult. Mm. Um, Whereas if you're able to say, well, we need these patients migrated on day one, like by eight o'clock Monday morning, but the rest of them can then follow in tranches over the coming weeks because they're unlikely to show up for an appointment. You can run the two systems in parallel. So in the unlikely event that I decide to rock up for my annual appointment because I've rolled an ankle, like you've still got access to my data, but you do have to go and use the old system as a workaround while all the data migrates across. Then that's um, much simpler and I think creates much less pain and much less headache and also enables you to roll back to the old system if something does go wrong. So I think it, you know, it's not just about let's throw technology at the migration. It's also, you know, let's think about a way to do this in kind of the best possible way, but mm. including all the factors, including the, the work involved and downtime as well. Yeah, I think you're right there. And, and having a strategy, not just on the implementation of a new system, but particularly how the, all the important factors, like a migration strategy on, on how that will work and working with people who've done it before. I'm interested, how do you, as PBT, how do you work with, say, a clinic then? If you've got, say, in the outpatient setting where there's a clinic that's on one practice management system and they're moving to another, does the clinic then engage you to then work between the two vendors? How does that work? Most of our work, I mean, it varies. Most of the time we find ourselves working with the incoming software provider uh, Mm -hmm. because our experience and part of the reason we're pursuing this is the um, even the software vendors don't really want to touch the migration. So, you know, you can talk to the open ophthalmology platform, OpenEyes, like those guys don't want to do the migration because it's hard and because they want to build the best possible software product they can. And so like with some of the work we're doing in the UK, like they engage with us, we will talk to the end client as a sort of voice of reason and a, you know, as you say, as the experts in the migration, because I think the people that own the software company or pushing the software get excited about talking about the new features. And and then I think you lose all sense of realism about how hard and ugly and all the hard stuff that will need to happen in order for you to get the, um, the sexy new system up and running. And I think as a company, PBT are wonderful at doing all the ugly stuff that happens in the background that enables the sexy stuff to happen at the front. So, you know, we can take and own all the ugly stuff that no one wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. It's mm. um, yeah, it's not a glamour business, that's for sure. <laughs> but you think about it, like if you're renovating the house, you could probably get the builder who's managing the project to wire up the electricity or do the plumbing because they've got that basic understanding. But if it was a complex job and requires, you know, like it needs to be reliable, then you'd probably want to engage a specialist like your electrician or your plumber. You, you wouldn't bat an eyelid at doing that. But I think that yeah, exactly. it's a, such an important aspect that you need that expertise. My neighbor's a great example of that. He, um, you know, he's pretty handy, but even he will be waiting for the electrician because he's like, I don't want to burn my house down and I don't want to burn your house down. So the electrician needs to come, even though I know how to do this, Mm. I'm still getting a licensed electrician out. So Mm. 
And so when you think about the interoperability between systems and what you've seen, have you seen any, whether it's here in Australia or abroad, some better examples of interoperability between healthcare systems in the past and what makes it better, I guess? I mean, in terms of the migration stuff, I think it's still, I'm not aware of any sort of great, wonderful examples like your example around Zero and Myob. I'm not aware of anyone that's managed to get that sort of click to migrate stuff working. I mean, we're hoping to get some of that stuff going because um, I think it, it shows an element of confidence because I think the challenge you have is if you've got people tied into your software because it's too hard to leave, then it makes you complacent and you're no longer driven by creating the best possible experience. I mean, where it's better, I mean, I think maybe from the payer side, it's a bit better in terms of the health insurance side. I think, you know, I'm able to go and get my physio appointment or get my massage and it'll all go through Medibank systems in seconds. The money will transact very, very quickly, but there'll be no record that I've been to the physio when I next present at the GP, for example. There's there's no sort of central hub for my, um, I mean, I know we've got the my health record, but um, you know, I, I don't think that's broadly used as a central repository. I think some stuff goes there, but it doesn't seem to be a great deal. But yeah, so I think in order to see where it works well, you have to look at the financial side of things. And, and particularly, you know, you go to the banking industry and sort of open banking standards that were rolled out over the last few years. I mean, I think that's where interoperability is done well. Um, I think there's some good progress with the fire standards that are getting adopted, I mean, particularly in the US, but, you know, talking with our clients and also internally at PBT, we kind of have that view that anything new that we build should be fire compliant so that, you know, hopefully once we've been through a a whole generation of software development and everything's new, then everything will be fire compliant and therefore it should be very easy to have system A talk to system B without too much challenge. But I don't think there's a great example and, you know, it'd be great to hear if anyone's aware of where this stuff has been really well done because I'm certainly not aware of it, to be honest with you. I think you're you're bang on there. That's the challenge is that there's not too many great examples of it being done in a scalable and effective way. But I think you're right. Getting those standards or at least the common language down gives us and doing it in a sensible way too, so that it doesn't stifle innovation and that it makes it a fair playing ground for the big end of town in terms of software, as well as the little innovative ones that are coming up too when it's all possible. So that would be ideal, I think. And I think as well, looking at data, no doubt, like we've said, a lot of it is quite bespoke and specific in doing these migrations, but one would imagine that automation can play an important part to a lot of this too. Is there work that you're doing in the automation space when it comes to healthcare data? Yeah, there is. We've got a new product, which we launched kind of a year or so ago, Rules Lab, which is a health-focused, low-code sort of business automation platform that kind of tries to eliminate the very mundane tasks. So it's kind of a, you know, you can build very complex rules, but essentially, you know, if I meet these criteria, then do this thing. And if I meet these criteria, then do this other thing. And if the rules engine sort of, if you get, you know, half the criteria met, then make someone look at it who understands the data to try and make a clinical decision. So we've been looking at that, both in terms of private health insurance, health space in general, but also looking at um, the taxation space and things like applying for government rebates and grants and 
you know, how you can apply that sort of business automation to fairly simple decisions using um, a rules platform like Rules Lab. So yeah, we are looking at how we can integrate that into the process and use it as part of the migration so that, you know, to make sense of the data and help determine, is it good data? Is it valid data? Is it useful data? Mm, interesting one. Keen to watch the space there. And lastly then, so so what's the focus for PBT this year and beyond when it comes to healthcare data? I think like I mentioned, the, the migration side of the business is um, relatively new. I mean, it's kind of been the last 18 months we've found that that's a really good niche for us to be. And we just want to expand our footprint you know, work with more organizations like you alluded to with GP practices, even even engage at that level to help guide people through the process from the start. So we're not being brought in once a product's been sold and someone's convinced, oh, yeah, this is going to fix all the problems. Because there's a lot of challenges around process and those sorts of things which you need to get right before any products. And it's not just in health tech or help you. You need to get your um, internal processes working. But yeah, I guess the, the sort of mantra is to keep investing in our health data people and understand sort of these massive and complicated data sets and try and make them simple both for human interaction but also for conversion between different platforms. And I guess for your point about zero and myob, it would be great if we can get to a point where it's not a huge task to migrate to a different platform. It's just, a, oh, yeah, this is the one I'm using. That's the one I've, I'm going to like migrate. And then, yeah, we're done. Awesome. Like that would be the dream. I don't think we'll get there in six, 12 or 18 months, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully we can get part way there. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great, a great aspiration to have and something that would solve a lot of challenges for clinic owners and people working in the healthcare space. So I'll put your details in the show notes of this episode so people can connect with you if they want to talk about migration of healthcare data and make sure they're doing that in an effective way. Will, I really appreciate you making the time and thank you so much. No worries. Thanks very much. That was fun. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. <laughs>